0: Uh, 15 minutes after eight o'clock so every second Tuesday we meet somebody that is an industry expert uh, somebody who's achieved uh, a few things in life and he has and okay now this system is new now I told you yesterday the system is new and can play tricks on all of us but I'm getting it slowly slowly getting it but the person and persons we host in this segment that we call meet the boss, have uh, earned their claim to fame, in one way or another. But the purpose of our conversation with them is mostly to celebrate them because they are leaders in what they do. What they've achieved, but we also want to learn a few things from them because there is no such thing as free lunch. So they must teach us something before they leave. So tonight, we meet Lee Nike, Na- not Nike guys, uh, but Nike, and I can spell it for his N-A-I-K. He's CEO of TransUnion Africa. He. He says that he knows everything about all of us, (laughs) and you know he does. Uh, He leads a portfolio of businesses that help uh, organizations to make more informed decisions and consumers manage their personal information to lead a higher quality of life. Uh, He's going to explain it in a way that you will then appreciate what we do on Mondays in our consumer feature because TransUnion is linked to what we do in our consumer feature on Mondays. Lee, good evening, and thank you for coming in. Thanks for having me, Rams. I really appreciate it. Thank you, and I. I'm also appreciating that you dress very well for radio.
1: I have to look the part yeah. all uh, the time. Abso-
0: absolutely, absolutely, I love it. So, as I as I warned you, uh, back backstage, uh, we we're gonna spend more time talking, a bit more time talking about you. One of the reasons we do that, Lee, is because people reach stages like CEO, chairman of organizations, and they think their past is not necessary. Now, the argument here with us is that, you know, it's necessary in many ways. Somebody, even somebody who doesn't know you, listens to your story and they say, wow, I can also dream. But for us, it's also somebody who comes from where Lee was born, and they they can say, that's one of ours out there. So we force you to come out and tell people those things so that somebody out there can say, I'm proud of this fellow. But of course, we also help those that you left with their money many years ago from your old, you know, township or wherever you were born to trace you and get the money from you now that you're on the radio. So where does the story begin? story
1: begins in Chatsworth in Durban. So I grew up in the township of Chatsworth, been there my entire life until I moved to Johannesburg 20 years ago. Right. So, wow. so as you know, all our, chats, all our our townships have units or numbers. Yeah. I'm a recipient of unit two in Chatsworth. So I grew up there my entire life and uh, grew up in a staunched house where very regimented. You know, yeah. if you weren't being guided to be on the straight and narrow, you weren't going to be on the straight and narrow. Yeah. So you go to school, you do your homework. You hit the public library reading five to eight books a week. So it was a very straight and narrow. Uh, To break out of your setting, as you know, it requires a lot of determination and focus. I'm lucky that I had parents that actually kept me on that straight and narrow. So kept the hard work going all the way through. Ended up at Natal University in Durban. We ended up doing a... uh,
0: Before, let's let's not go to Natal University that quickly. We'll get to it. (laughs) We'll get to it. I I want us to talk about the childhood that you grew up in. Sure. This environment at the time that you grew up in. I, I can imagine... Uh, it was not in, in this South Africa. Mm. Yeah.
1: For sure. You know, actually, I remember the very first school I went to, uh, it's actually shut down now. In in my class one, which we call it class one back in the day, mm. class one and class two, I went to a school called the Chatswood State Aided Primary School, which was the first school for Indians, actually. Really? It was a school built on stilts and made of IBR metal, right? and it was quite a fascinating school back in the day for those that went there in that we had one class one one class two one of every class yes and by the time i'd gotten there so class one and class two i was in the school and then by the time we got to standard one the school was shut down because of health and safety reasons it was a school built a long long time ago so for those that remember it yep. that's where it all that's started. that's where it all started it all started yes. there. and i remember one of the challenges of the school you talk about the old days the school was famous for not having any school facilities Right. Yeah. So on a Tuesday, I think my our day was the Tuesday, we had to have sports. Sports meant single file walking from the school to the municipal ground to do an hour of physical education, yeah. whether it was soccer or whatever it was, and you'd march back single file. And our playground was playing under the building, playing in the gum trees, yeah. and that was But it. you didn't
0: know any better then? We didn't know That, any that better. is what you knew. Then.
1: Absolutely. You almost, I guess it's important that the context is key. You always think yeah. about the context you're in. And kind of the context tells you that you find happiness yeah. in playing under the trees. You don't have these toys, these luxuries. Yeah. You don't have these things to distract you. And for many of us youngsters playing with two sticks outside you know, is the way we did it. Or playing soccer with a Coke can or a piece of paper wrapped up in masking tape. That's how we all grew up, you know? And catching a hiding from your mum for damaging your one school shirt, <laughs> you know, that made sense. But for many of us, that's what it meant. And I think that point on context is really powerful, yes. right? Because for you to survive in this context, require you to see beyond the circumstances that you faced yourself in, yeah. which is why I think having a strong role model, role models, it's important. We to see beyond your circumstance.
0: Our guest on Meet the Boss is Lee Nike, CEO of TransUnion Africa. He's gonna be with us until top of the hour. Now, I'm gonna take a short break. When we come back, we open the lines to you to talk to him. His zero eight uh, our number is zero eight nine double one zero double three double seven. The rule is we talk to him about anything and everything about TransUnion, about Lee the man about the past, the future and about the things that he writes about which I'm going to introduce to you if you're not aware of the things he writes about because he writes a lot about the tech world that impacts you and I every day so the lines are open and we're also on Twitter at Rams by the horns but we do this when we come back 89 Lee uh what is one of your fondest memories of early childhood, not even teenage? You know, before uh, class one, class two, class three, that, that time.
1: Actually, one of the funniest stories I think back to is when we were growing up, we were pretty poor mm. and, and we had a strict dress code at school to have a school tie. And I remember that we used to have these assemblies once a week. Yeah. You know, they check your tie, check your nails, and we couldn't afford a tie. And I was mentioning earlier that the school shut down. Yeah. And I was quite a smart kid, you know, came out f- first in, gra- in grade one and first from grade two. When they shut down the school in grade two, the prize I got was a tie. Oh. <laughs> I could have got the tie throughout all of that. So I thought it was quite hilarious. And I think back to that. But I guess everything is about, you know, it's, it's a journey you're yeah. on, right? Yeah.
0: Absolutely. And as, as you go through and you go to high school and stuff like that, what are your dreams made of at the time? I mean, do you, is this Lee the same Lee that you were dreaming about then? Well, it's actually interesting. You
1: know, one of the things, I'm a, I am did a degree in computer science. I mentioned yes. it briefly earlier. So when we had these public libraries, because you had this regimen, you go to school, you eat some food, you go to the library. And after a while, you read all the books. Yes. Right. You read your Hardy Boys and your Nancy Drews. And it's interesting. So this was now probably in the late 80s. And computers had not come to chats with us yet. But the books had already come. Yeah. So here's a crazy story. Myself and a few friends of ours started reading computer books before we had computers. Right? Wow. And we started to write code on pieces of paper. Right? No. True story. True story. And then the first year that the, the high school got computers in Chatsworth, my mom had gone to the school with some other, other parents and actually got permission first us to use these computers after hours. Right. This was standard five, grade seven back yeah. then. So I had a view back then when I was standard five, having kind of learned computers in a public library, what this thing was. I knew in standard five, Rams that I wanted to do computer science. I was a maths whiz back then, but I learned computer science not in computers. The first time I owned my own computer was final year of university.
0: Final year of university. Final year of
1: university because I had a scholarship with Telcom and they agreed to buy me a computer in my final year. But I've never owned a computer until I finished university and that was my major. So I learned to program on pieces of paper yeah, and I got to try it out on the school computers and we kept going at it and eventually we succeeded.
0: So you went to Natalia University uh, after after high school and you, that's where you started computer science. That's right. Yeah. But even then, it was not vogue. It was not fashionable for people to study that kind of stuff.
1: It wasn't fashionable. Even at high school, there was just one class that did computers, right? Uh, It was starting to become a thing at university. But remember, was still early days. It wasn't cool and sexy to do computers. But I guess for those that did computers, you kind of loved your mathematics. You saw this as something in the future that was coming. Yes. Not everybody got it. It was difficult. There was no Photoshop and fancy computers. Things took a long time to run. But if you kind of got it back then, then you kind of understood the inner workings. I almost think that it made us better people. You got to understand the inner workings of everything. And now when I think about how I got my my job, I can connect the dots in a much better way, I think.
0: And what happens when you leave university? So it is interesting.
1: I had a scholarship with uh, a company called Telcom. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, in a a funny story, I can't
0: remember them, but yeah.
1: It's one of, it was one of the only telcos back in the days. And it's interesting, back in my final year, I asked my bursar to give me some vacation work, and I got to go to West Street Durban, yeah. a small office there. And I got to do a bit of vacation work, and I met some guys coding computers and programming. And I thought, thought to myself, this is not the head office, it's going to be difficult. Yeah. <laughs> and if I am get stuck in this room, I'm not going to be happy because I, I had so much great ambition with all the studying I'd done. Yeah. And uh, back at university, you'd remember all these different companies come by and they present. You know, this is what we do, and this is what we do. And, and a company called Anderson Consulting back mm. then. And Anderson,
0: I'm, I'm, I'm not saying your word. Anderson
1: Consulting <laughs> back then, not <laughs> Arthur Anderson, Anderson <laughs> Consulting came along and they said three things that impressed me. One, they paid overtime. <laughs> two. <laughs> two. <laughs> two, you got to go overseas once a year. I'm thinking, that's cool. And three, you got to do a different project every three to four months, right? So your boredom was not going to be there for two. You should minutes.
0: have been interested in those things in reverse, Lee. Not, not the overtime first. It should, be, <laughs> it should have been the last. <laughs> if we're you from Chatsworth, you want <laughs> the money, right? <laughs> so
1: interestingly enough, I, I've only been for one job interview uh, uh, in 1997. Yeah. And I got this job even before I finished university. I started March 1998, they shipped me to Johannesburg, and that's this career. And I spent 19 years at that first job before I
0: left. 19 years? Yep. So you pretty much have only been in two jobs?
1: Two jobs, my entire life. Many jobs within the jobs, which is part three of this point I made. But 19 years in the first job, deep in technology and transformation.
0: Wow. And in that first job, you know, coming in as a junior and working out as somebody senior, uh were there moments when you thought i think i'm making sense here i think i think i think i'm I'm doing things that not everybody's doing here."
1: well i i got to do something that most young graduates coming to the market probably will never get a chance to do my first project in 1998 was walking into was walking it's the new technology
0: but i think somebody else is sabotaging me here i had nothing to do with this one
1: (laughs) So my, my very first project in 1998 was to join the team that rebuilt the 1999 elections. So we know the election setup. Yeah. 1994, under Judge Johann Krickler was a temporary structure yeah. to get us through. Then they disbanded this IEC, and they recreated it from 1999 onwards. So I was part of the first team of people that took the Electoral Act, and we figured out how elections work. We designed the zip zip machine. We, we built the systems. I got to code some of these things. And it still works, right? Wow, mate. So, 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 And that's early democracy. Those projects don't exist anymore, Ram. So I'm like really chuffed about how I started my career.
0: And why would you leave? Well, I'm sure you were this celebrated guy. Everybody loved you. I mean, you still went overseas once a year. More than once a year.
1: <laughs> but yeah, for sure. And you,
0: you were paid for overtime. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, they
1: stopped paying you overtime <laughs> after a while. At
0: some, yeah, at some point now, you don't get overtime. Correct.
1: Yeah. But you know, Part of the part of the opportunity I had in my first job was you got to do so many different things. So I got a chance from working in places like the first elections. I got to work on the first census ever in two thousand and one in our country. When we working for Paddy Lohotla. yeah, right. Figuring out how a census works. So as a youngster, still under twenty, twenty one, I got to do some pretty cool things. So, I went from being a deep techie technologist to becoming involved in IT strategy, helping businesses, banks, telcos figure out how to use the technology to do business. Yes. And then later on in my career, everything became digital AI and mobile apps. Then we moved into that digital space. Yeah. We did that. But after a while, you start to think about okay, what's next? What next? I was entering my late 30s, having this mini midlife crisis. (laughs) Uh, So I'm now 39. What do you do next? And and the one thing I kept, I do a lot of talking about digital and technology. The one thing that kept coming up over and over again is that data is going to be the next big thing.
0: Yes. Right? Yes.
1: So every conversation we had was about data, data, data. And then one day, uh, TransUnion came knocking at the door. And I was a hard sell. took me five months to say yes to TransUnion, right? Because Five lo- months? Five months from April 2016, I said yes on the 2nd of September. Because I loved my job. Yes. But I knew that the next big thing had to be involving data. And if you guys know much about TransUnion... Well, that's you know, what I'm going to get.
0: So who is TransUnion? What do you guys do?
1: So TransUnion started in the year 1901. And when we f- see
0: the ads on television. Correct. Yeah.
1: Now, it started as a as a business that your family, the listeners will all know about, call ITC. Yes. Right? You guys who listed us. Not us, but it's a role we play. So, <laughs> okay. So, yes, here's the point about TransUnion. We're an information company. We are one of six credit bureaus in the country that are allowed to use all the information around you to help banks, lenders, telcos make decisions, but also to help you as a citizen make a decision about the debt you take on, what you do every day. So Black Friday is coming up now. (laughs) Should you buy more? Shouldn't you buy more? These are important questions. So we have all the data which we need to protect and control in a tight manner, but to help you make decisions. So when I joined TransUnion, the question was, with all this data we have, can we solve really interesting problems? For example, We've been talking since the dawn of democracy about a better life for all. Yes. How do we grow the economy by introducing new participants into the financial markets? This cousin you know from Soweto or Chatsworth or Alex that couldn't get his first car loan or first personal loan. He's trying very hard. How do you give him a second chance? Yes. Now for me, when you combine data with artificial intelligence, we now have the opportunity to rethink the way things gone and say, listen, actually Lee's a better guy. Let's find a way to bring him into the system. Now, I've been focusing on that for the last 22 months, driving this this African business to help drive problems like financial inclusion, rehabilitation, helping businesses that are now being challenged by other banks, other telcos, telcos behaving like banks, bank behaving like telcos, all of this happening all around, but how use the power of the data flowing through the digital world to help solve some of these problems. It's fascinating.
0: Well, you gotta solve it for me now because I, I I want to understand it in simplest of terms how how you'd use that data to make more people employable, in Alex.
1: Cool. So let me let me break it down for you. Fifty-seven million people in the country. Mm. Twenty-five million have an active credit status. So twenty-five million people have a personal loan, some microfinance, they have a car mortgage, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. According to Stats essay, there are 33 million economically active people, right? So they're participating, some have cash, some hide their money under the mattress, yeah. but they want to participate, but they don't look like the person that the bank wants, right? So if we can show, for example, that Rams and Lee are trying to be a better person, right? By understanding more about the person using the data we mm-hmm. have. If I can say, based on your behavior, that you're starting to improve, right? And if I could tell the bank, listen, Rams had a problem 18 months ago, but I can see he's rehabilitating, right? In three months, he's going to be a better guy. Let's bring him on, Yeah. right? Now, with the power of data and the technology we use, we're able to do that. So we built this new technology, Rams. In February, we launched it. And as the banks and the telcos start to adopt it, We're going to identify another 3 million people to join the financial markets. 3 million. 3 million people. 3 million. Up to 3 million that could be participating in the economy. Now, you know as well as I do, we're a consumer-driven economy. Yes. The more consumers participating, the better the economy does. Yes. And now we're in technical recession, minus 0.4% in the last quarter. So if I can find a way to help people, we can find a way to help people rehabilitate, become better people, more controlled in what they do then they become better participants in the economy as well.
0: I, I swear to you, if 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 somebody mentioned TransUnion to me and and mentioned what you just spoke to me about, I would never have put them together. I would never have imagined that's what you would be doing. However, uh, Lee, there's something that has always bothered a lot of people about about this new world of data and, and, and artificial intelligence and tech. Uh, are we, are we getting rid of human beings?
1: We're, we are not. I can say it loud and clear <laughs> for the listeners. We are not getting rid of human beings. I think where your question comes from is, yeah. what is this technology, this AI, yeah. these robots? Is this Terminator with Skynet coming to take over? The truth, though, is that there are certain things that are starting to become more easier to do by technology. Yeah. So humans have our own limitations we're tired we don't necessarily work 24 by 7. the way to think about artificial intelligence in the practical sense there are certain things that follow rules if you can follow the rule over and over again it can be repeated right Uh, if there's a process that can be repeated over and over again Mm. right these are repeatable industrialized processes right those are things that technology will take over these are tasks that are better suited to humans better suited than the humans now there was an interesting report done a few years ago. And what it said is that, and this is scary, but let me give you the positive part as well, right? Almost 47% of jobs that exist today hmm. won't be here by 2030, right? It's
0: almost scary. 47%. 47% 50,
1: almost 50%. Almost 50%. Percent. Any job that's, pr- that's linked to a process, a rule, that can be typed in a programmed into a computer, this can be done. Now, today in South Africa, you may not know this. There are many what we call a software robot behind the scenes, understanding things, running processes, answering your query. You think it's a human, but it's actually a software robot or what we call a robotic process automation right? It takes a process and it applies some software or technology around it. It's happening already today. Now, you may say, Lee, but why are we doing this? The reality is that in a depressed economy, some of the very businesses that run in South Africa, just to keep their survival to be operating, they need to become more efficient and more effective in how they do it. So there are certain things that are inefficient about how we work, right, that can become more efficient, and more effective when we start to bring technology on board.
0: So, where do the humans fit in how do they survive this new world that so i'm sitting here here's my example i'm sure 20 years ago i would be sitting in this studio with three other colleagues making other things happen i'm now sitting in this studio with three computers making things happen so what happened to my colleagues what should happen to my colleagues
1: that's a good question Right. So the, as some of these jobs start to become automated, new jobs get created. So, for example, there are jobs, data scientists, design thinkers, visual designers. You wonder, where do these jobs come from? Mm. So the report that you referred to earlier I wrote about, it's the World Economic Forum's Future of Jobs report. And what it talks about is that in the next 10 to 15 years, almost 150 million new jobs get created in job categories that don't even exist today. Now, the question is, Lee, what are those jobs? Because I need to start studying it immediately. Yeah. So a couple of things. When I studied 20 years ago or 25 years ago, I had to go to university. I had to pay diligent attention every day. Yeah. If you found something that you wanted to study today, Rams, said so Lee, I want to learn about macroeconomics. I want to learn how to program a computer. Here's the difference. You could learn that piece of knowledge free of charge today, right? It's on the internet from a reputable university. Many employers don't necessarily want the certificate. They want to know that Rams can do this job. Can
0: do this job.
1: Correct. And, and, And places like Coursera, edX, Singularity University, Udemy, Khan Academy, they are being funded by the biggest philanthropists in the world, funding this and saying, let's get the education out there. So the skills to take on a new knowledge, a new job, right, is available to us. So you asked me earlier, what should humans be doing? Let me give you some positive news. Yeah. There are certain things that technology cannot do, at least for now, Rams. Humans are better at creativity. We have better social intelligence. We can connect the dots creatively better than any computer can, yes. right? If, if you go to the best uh, plant that creates cars in the world, you'd find that 99% of the car is done by robots, but that 1% is welded by a human. Because what he can see in front of me is different per car. Now that kind of creativity, the orchestration, your perceptive ability will not be replaced for a while. right? So your ability to orchestrate all of these computers in your show, that's what you do well. And you always have that ability in this content. You talking to me can relate and infer things about our conversation better than the computer can. So things can be repeated, are prone to being automated out. The question is, if you're in a job where you find that it is actually locked down and industrialized, will be automated, what do you do about it? Yeah. If you sit and cry about it, right, you're going to become irrelevant. If you say, how do I learn a new skill? Right? How do I take on a new thing on the side? and Not in my work time. If you're going to become relevant in your job and your life, that's you putting the effort over and above what you're doing.
0: In fact, I want us to focus on on that, because I I I've been hearing a lot everywhere I go that the the future, which I always thought was the present, is education. The the only answer to to that world that's becoming robotic is the fact is that we should get educated even more because education will not be beaten by ro- robots. Hundred percent. But I'll come back and talk to the to to you about that. And uh, we're gonna take another break, guys. Uh, I, I beg you, at least somebody who knows Lee from his bad days two callers I'd like to hear the other side of him that he's never going to tell us about Zero eight nine you're on Meet the Boss on Metro FM Talk my name is Rems Mabote our guest is Lee Nike. he's the CEO of TransUnion Africa but I love more the talk that we're having on uh, AI and the future of work and stuff like that so, so uh, Lee years ago I worked with a mining company, and and they told me that in countries like Australia and Canada and stuff like that, we have less people working underground in the mines and digging the minerals and and, and transporting them and stuff like that. Then I asked the question, but then what happened to those people? Do they have jobs? I mean, and the funny thing is that the the next line from my source was, and in Australia, they still have a negative job problem. They still need more people for jobs mm. in spite of the fact that there are jobs that are obsolete. How, how does that happen? So in places
1: like Australia, what you found is
0: we call it mechanization. Yeah.
1: So these robots and these technologies are starting to automate things that are hard. So digging up, finding where the coal is, where the gold is digging it up. What we've found in digital is that there are more people required to orchestrate the machines. So those same people that were underground yeah. in the mine shift itself have actually gone above the ground into control rooms that actually orchestrate. Yeah. Now sometimes the technology can understand what the data says. Yes. In many mine operations or, or manufacturing operations, the humans have built new skills to actually orchestrate the machines. Now there's something we call augmentation. You hear about augmentation, where the human is partnering with the machine yes. to do a job. So the machine will start doing a job and say, here's the output rams, you take over, you finish it. And that's the point about the human having certain skills that technology does not have. Yes. So augmentation would be a natural match when you come together, you think about you know how humans and you know robots combine physically. It isn't like that, yeah. but how the handoff works, and you see that humans will play a much more senior role in creating value. So, when you look at a mine, you look at a manufacturing plant, you actually become a lot more productive, a lot more value when you use humans in this way.
0: What 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 do I tell a forty-eight-year-old who's worked underground all their lives? Could they relearn? Could they learn something new that would make them relevant?
1: Well, I think a 48 year old can learn to become relevant. If you look at lots of the mining operations around the world and in manufacturing, these are people that have experience that can never be replaced by technology, right? So I think learning how to work in coexistence with the technology yeah. is key to it. And like we said earlier, learning how to collaborate with technology isn't as difficult as spending years doing it. You can start to learn this on the job, to job shadow, learn it in, in your kind of spare time, in the new ways of learning. Things have changed, Rams.
0: Zero eight nine double one zero double three double seven KK. Good evening.
2: Hi, uh, good evening, Rams. Uh, thanks for the topic. Very interesting. Um, Rams, I'm an AI practitioner and uh AI practitioner, particularly more in the um artificial general intelligence space as well as authentication. Um I caught the back end of the conversation uh with your guest regarding uh you know, the application of AI, uh the good things and the bad. I just wanted to ask him, our experience is showing us that, you know, the big push Or where the big mass adoption is going to happen is if we can enable AI to actually uh, move beyond just being sort of uh, based in an English language and being able to actually translate into other sort of uh, uh, indigenous languages not only just here in South Africa but across borders and all other sort of predominantly non-English speaking Mm. um, uh, speaking countries. I wonder if he's got any thoughts around that, particularly when you think about, you know, uh, its application in terms of, for example, you mentioned the fact that, uh, it, it there are lots of, it's, uh, anything that's rules based. Yeah. But ultimately, unless you can translate that into language, and we know that particularly most of the code that's been developed right now, uh, you know, around AI is mostly based in English. Does he think that if, you know, the big liberalization around you know, the code, the code base being transformed into different languages could actually uh, be the big push in terms of mass adoption of these kinds of technologies.
0: Brilliant question, KK. Thank you for the question, and please listen on the radio.
1: Ram, so that's a really good question, and I was actually chatting to your producer offline about how his three-year-old's able to talk to YouTube using the speaker, yes, and how it's called Google Assistant is able to interpret the natural language of a three-year-old and puts up a video of, you know, Sharky and Zigo, whatever this. Mm-hmm cartoon is, right? Or Teen Titans or something like that. And what's interesting, if you go into Google these days, you can now search in one of our local local languages, Afrikaans, Isis Zulu, whatever the case may be, right? So I think as you go forward, you're going to find that the technology will start to interface with humans in more ways, right? So if you look at the way you learn languages, so in my phone, I've got an app called Duolingo where I can learn many new languages around the world. If I want to search, in the language of my choice, those options are becoming available. Yeah. So for a person living in India, they can search in Tamil or Hindi. If you're living in, in China, you can now search in Mandarin. So I reckon what's going to happen is that the technology will e- evolve to become highly localized, yes. right, to become relevant to people. English is spoken a lot in the world, but as you look at the population growth of Asia Pacific, looking at 2030 specifically, that language groups is going to evolve. The Indian languages are going to evolve and English. English may just be uh on par with them and not the same. so for us to be globally relevant, we'd have to talk different languages now the technology to the caller's point talks this native calling language, yeah, so I think as you go forward, a lot of effort will be put on localizing the connection between you ask it in Mandarin, you respond in Afrikaans, and that's going to happen and
0: if that happened, that would then i I presume allow more players in. Who don't necessarily come with a degree like you and I or or, or KK, who I suspect should have a degree.
1: Well, the truth is that it's happening already. I'm sure you've heard of this concept called the gig economy. Yes. Right? And the gig economy basically says that, firstly, in my old way of working, I had to see you to know that you're doing your job. You had to use a suit to know that you're doing a good job. Yes. Right now, no one cares where I sit or how I look, or how I dress. It's the output that matters. Yes. And you're gonna find that as you go into the gig economy, you're gonna find that jobs move all over the world. For example, the guys supplying-
0: fact, may, may I interrupt you? Because I'd like us to, to conclude our conversation on the gig economy. I, sure. I, I'm, a, I'm a lover of the gig economy. I keep on telling people now that uh, if you're not in the gig economy, you're not gonna have a job tomorrow. So let's take another break. One last break, I promise you. Then we'll talk more about the gig economy. Sure. So this is the last mile of uh, this conversation on Meet the Boss. I just don't understand what happened to the time. Uh, But, you know, we're going to try and make it interesting. I'd like us to speak quickly for, say, two, maybe three minutes on the gig economy, and we're then going to conclude about how transunion is important and how we can use our information as you know, to help us. Sure. We're scared of what you guys keep about us. We don't know, no, no, but we'll get to that. This gig economy thing, is, is I i have argued that the truth is if we don't become part of that, uh, a lot of us will, will become obsolete going forward.
1: Sure. I guess
0: the truth is that
1: work is becoming democratized. Yeah. So I don't need to see you to know that you're doing the job. Yeah. Work will become more in parcels and someone will say listen, all I want to do is I want you to staple these pieces of paper or I want you to walk to that location and tell me whether this GPS coordinate is where the Nando's is or where the Wimpy is. These are small commoditized jobs. There's no terms and conditions. There's no contract. You confirm that, I'm going to pay you rams. That's the gig economy. You show up, you do something. And this is called the virtual job market. In places like China, there are over 10 million people signed up to this virtual job market. If someone says, I'm looking for 100 guys to paint the house, and when you're done, the job's done. That's this compartmentalization of jobs that are happening. It's here to stay because the main, mainstream jobs are starting to become fewer and fewer. Yeah. As you start to get a skill, you're able to accept a job in the gig economy and say, I can do the job, I can go somewhere else. More flexibility, working from home, and changing jobs as you want to change your lifestyle.
0: And then, of course, uh, what most of us would like to know, because you hear a sea of uh, TransUnion, uh, that spook that we're all scared of, is what good can I get out of of TransUnion as, as just a normal person with a credit record and hopefully a clean credit record?
1: Correct. So a couple quick things. It's a tough economy right now. Do you agree? Yeah. It's tough. Now, in a tough economy, information is power. Yes. A credit bureau's job is to give one free credit report to every citizen that calls us every year. Yeah. There are 25, poten- 25 million potential people to call me, but only 600,000 people call a year. There's one phone call. You call us, you get the report, but information is power. So what are you going to know? You're going to know who has information on you. Yeah. So somebody's bought furniture on your account. It wasn't you. You're going to find it on that report. If you are not paying your account accountant time, it's going to show up on that report. If somebody has listed a judgment against your name, you're going to know this report. Now, it's scary to call a bureau because the bureaus are known to be scary. Yes. But here's the point, Rams. For you to rehabilitate and to access this credit economy because it's tough right now with disposable income. So the credit market helps us to live every day. So my my advice is very simple. Call us, 0861-482-482. Got a transunion.co.za. Get your one free credit report every year. it will tell, tell us about what do they have about you, your address, yeah. your full name, your ID number, what accounts are open, what are paid, what judgments are against you. There's a way to rehabilitate, but it starts with taking control of your own information. Because if I don't know,
0: I won't start the rehabilitation program. 100%. 100% or Nike, actually. Why do I want to pronounce it differently, Lee? I, I just feel like when I say Nike, I feel like I'm a South African who's mispronouncing Nike. It's been wonderful having you here. You, it, I I reckon even I did not know enough about what I should know about TransUnion. I think I stopped at knowing that you know the best stuff about me and I didn't want to know any any better. But most importantly for me, this conversation has made it clearer about the the future of the world of work. And, I, and I'm and i glad now that you've allayed one big fear, that we're not going to replace people with robots. Information is power. Take control, Rams. It's been great having you here in studio. I hope our paths will cross again, but continue doing your great job. Thank you, Rams. I appreciate it. This conversation, guys, will be on podcast shortly on www.metrofm.co.za. And before I leave, one last message. Worried about work, having a career crisis, don't panic. Watch Ispani catch us on SABC One every Tuesday at 2 p.m. and get on the presser, pusher, panda path to your future. Get your grind going with our hustlers as they share their journey to the working world. What better way to prepare that learning from uh, hustlers making it happen? Ispani, SABC One, Tuesdays at 2, brought to you by SABC Education. Enriching minds, enriching lives. And that concludes our show this week. We're back next Monday. Uh, That means I am crediting back two full minutes to DJ Man. I've always owed him a lot of time. So I can get out of here and he can do his job. From me, Rems Mavote, good night and God bless.